Hey, uh, if you will, we're going to be Luke chapter 15 today. We're starting a new series and at the beginning of a new uh, season, kind of new year, I thought it'd be good for us to revisit uh, what does it mean to be a church? Why are we a church? Uh, how does God feel about his church? Um, what's the priority of a church? And uh, we, we uh, every Sunday morning, we come in, we do service, and we say to you, uh, good morning, welcome to Rock Bible Church. We are a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves the greater community. Amen? Now, uh, you know, uh, we, I didn't come up with that. I, I stole all of it. Now, maybe pick the words and how they're phrased. But, you know, all that stuff comes out of the Bible uh, because they are uh, directives uh, that God has given us for how is the church supposed to function. And so what I want us to do, I want to do an acronym for you, a six-part acronym over the next three weeks. We're going to do two week. Uh, we're going to spell out church. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a pastor. I have to do cheesy things like that, like turn it into an acronym, right? So we're going to do C-H-U-R-C-H over the next three weeks uh, and, and find out uh, why is it we are uh, Christ-centered? Why is it we are biblically based? What does it mean to be a casual community that welcomes all to worship? Why, why do we serve the greater community? Uh, so that's what we're going to look at, the priority. So we, we get reminded to who we are. We spent a whole uh, season in the book of Daniel. We finished it last week, and we, we kind of got an idea of what was it like to be Daniel? What was it like to live back then? What was God like, and how did he treat his people back then? We kind of got a glimpse of, well, that's the God that we're dealing with. Over the next three weeks, we get to see, all right, how does that play out for us today? Uh, and so I want to do that with one of the most famous stories in the Bible ever. Okay, I'm going to prove it to you. Ready? You, you fill in the blank, right? The prodigal? Okay, see, you know the story probably. Or have you at least heard the phrase before? Okay, uh, so that's our passage that we're going to look at each of the next three weeks. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be compelling church? What does it mean to be a casual church? What does it mean to be a community church? And so that's our three weeks. I, dare, I just I spoiled it. I gave it all away. Okay, before we get started, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your church. We thank you for your son and the relationship between the two. And pray, Lord, you would show us our role, our place, our value. Uh, And Lord, we thank you for this story of this father and his two sons and and how poignant it is, how fitting it is uh, to tell us our value, the value of others and the things that you value. And so I pray, Lord, you would be with us in these next few weeks, especially today, Lord, as we read your word. Pray that it would be to that end, that we might know uh, how to function as your people, how to function as your church. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless this time, this passage, these people, and we pray it in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 15, the story starts in verse 11. Uh, There's 10 verses that precede this in the chapter. Uh, Not necessarily needed right now, but we are going to come back to them. We will look at some verses uh, after it at some point, and then probably during the next three weeks, we'll look at some other passages from other books that that coincide to get at least three of them today. Uh, So it's a little different for us because usually we're kind of just in a chapter Right, uh, but we're we're in a story now, and and so we're we're going topical. <gasps> oh no, 
We're going to do topical, but we're going to do it in an exegetical way. Amen? We're going to look at the passage. So here we go. We're Luke chapter 11, or chapter 15, verse 11. Uh, Jesus is telling stories. He's told two stories already. He, this is his third. His, his, the, this is like the, the um, cleanup hitter. This is his designated hitter story right here. He, he said, there was a man who had two sons. Younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. What's that, what's that request sound like to you? How's that feel? You, you like... Sounds greedy, right? Some hadn't earned it, maybe, uh, and sounds like he thinks he need not earn it. I he's entitled. You know that's what first service said. Said they were. In, he sounds entitled. I said, yeah. Sounds like he's from in Pleasanton. <laughs> yeah, they laugh like that too, as if it weren't true, right? Have we run into Tri-Valley kids who uh, think they need not earn it? All right, this one's going to hurt a little bit. Uh, have you run into Tri-Valley parents who've acted like they need not earn it? A little entitled. Ooh, that one hurt. A little. Right? Uh, it's, it's not a good request. Uh, kind of is void of relationship. Just enough relationship that I want to call, I want to claim my heir, my sonship from you. And now that that's over, just give me my stuff. It is greedy. It is entitled. Uh, it's insensitive. It's non-relational. It's materialistic. Uh, boy, we don't feel very good right now, do we? Hearing that request. But, but watch, watch what happens. Because this, this is confusing to me. As a man, I don't like this. Right? Ready? This is what I don't like. And he divided his property between them. Period. What? No, no, no. My kid comes to me and says, Dad, I'm your kid. You got two sons. I get half. I want it now. I want what's owed to me. I think I'm taking him outside. <laughs> you, you want what? Let's start with owed. You're owed nothing, right? How long is that conversation I'm having with him? Pretty long. And how's it end for him? Not good with no stuff. Right? Over my dead body, buddy. That's how it's supposed to work. When I'm dead, you get your stuff. Wait, are you, are you asking that I be dead? What are you, you know what you're asking for? You're asking for half my stuff. And then when you get the stuff, you know what I know what happens then? You're gone. Relationship's over. And you want me to give away, not my stuff, you can have the, you can have all the stuff, but you want relationship over? No. No, we're not doing that. In fact, I'm going to spend more time with you because you obviously haven't learned how to do relationship. This is backwards. That's how I'm handling it. And that's why I'm not God. Amen? <laughs> he simply divides the property between them. And I love this. And the Bible does this all the time. And I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. I want you to look for it when you read your Bible on your own later because I know you do it. The bad stuff, the bad stuff 
the negative part of the story, the, the part where it hits the fan and, and, and people lose and they make a mistake and they sin. You, the, that part of the story in the Bible is always very short. Have you noticed this? Almost all the passages, when somebody turns the wrong direction, it, it's a quick an account. It tells you what happened and boom, it moves on. Why does it do that? We're going to get that in a second. Okay. Notice it's very short. He says, dad, I want my stuff. He gives it to him. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Love it. Because my prediction's right. Oh, you want your stuff? Because when you get your stuff, then you're gone. Relationship's over. That's what he does. Far off land, right? And then what does it do as far as detail in telling the story? Does it give us a whole bunch of detail? It doesn't. It says everything, right? It says he went to a far off country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. Tells us everything and yet tells us nothing. Doesn't give us any gory details. Was it substance abuse? Was it sexual? Was it financial? Violence? Doesn't cover any of that. Doesn't get into any specifics. Why does God tell stories that way? Not important. It doesn't matter. And he knows the details already. And he knows you know the details already. Of the only stories that really matter for you. Which stories are those? Your own. When a kid makes a mistake on the soccer field and I got to pull him and sub him. There's one thing I never do. I never tell him what he done wrong. I pull him out. Take a break. Get some water. We'll put you back in a little bit. Why not? He already knows. And I love the way God tells stories. He says, you kind of know how this goes. I don't need to fill you in the details because the details aren't what's important. What's important, what comes after the details. I'm going to spend a little bit of time just so you know somebody's in trouble. And now I'm going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about what does it look like to get out of trouble, to get healing, to get forgiveness, to get fixed, to be right. I want to make sure you see that. Okay, This is a great way that they tell stories. Right, uh, Reckless living. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. That's a politically correct way of saying it. He began to be in need. I'm dying here. I'm not beginning to be in need. I'm suffering. I'm drowning, right? You ever felt that way? Don't raise your hand. He began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He was not in the Tri-Valley anymore. He's not getting anything for free. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. How many of my father's slaves have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, quote, why quote? He's preparing a speech. This one, I got, I got to have a plan. What am I going to say to dad? Oh, dad's going to be home. What do I say when he walks in? Right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. End quote. All right, he's got a speech. Three lines. 
three sentences, nice and brief, to the point. We'll see how it goes. I hope this works with that. He arose and came to his father. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran. Where? To him. It's implied, right? Ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, oh, time for the speech. Ready for the speech? You're not going to get the whole speech. Something's going to go wrong here. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. Verse 22. Father cuts him off. Why does he cut him off? What did he miss? There was a third line in that speech. We didn't get to finish the speech. He cut him off. He didn't get to say, treat me as one of your slaves. Why does the father cut him off? One, one important. He's heard enough. One buying it. Right? Guys, talk to the Lord. Pray. Ask for stuff. Tell him how you feel. Do it as often as you possibly can on as many topics as you can think of, wherever you go. And then don't be surprised if God cuts you off. Why would he cut you off? It's not important. I already know what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to ask for. I either buy it or I don't. Or, hey, Scott, cute prayer, nice speech. I already know what you're going to say, and I got something better for you. So I'm going to cut you off. I'm not even going to let you say that I should treat you like a slave. I don't even want it to come out of your mouth. I want to move on to something better. Love that. Getting cut off by God in your prayer? Pretty cool thing. Could be. Right? Uh, where are we? Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. He needs good clothes. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand so he's designated as part of the family. Right? Ring designates part of the family. And shoes on his feet. My son will not go barefoot. Right? Not going to treat him like one of the slaves. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. What? Bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and What? I've been telling you guys for years, God wants to party. We have a party God. You know what we're doing when we get to heaven? Party. Right? Last Supper was a party, right? It wasn't the Last Supper, by the way. We're going to have a lot of suppers. I don't know why they call it the Last Supper. Goofy tradition. Lord's Supper. That's what we call it. Right? Because we don't want to get confused. Because there's more parties to come. We got a party God. What, what does he want to do? What does, it, what does God want to do with the lost son? Does it, in, it give us an indication as to his intention? What kind of God do we have? He wants to find the lost son. And then what, do you want to chastise him? 
No, you want to hear his whole speech about how he's, he's come to terms with uh, all he's wrong and admit and confess? You better come in and confess all your sins. Really? Mm, doesn't look like you got to confess everything. In fact, you got cut off. He wants to get to the eating and the partying. I, I'm sorry, I like that God. <laughs> right? Nehemiah, what's it say? Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. I want Nehemiah God, right? Cracking up. You guys know Gino Cunningham. I forgot to tell the story first hour. This is your second service extra, right? Gino Cunningham and I are on the, on the phone the other day. Uh, Gino started a church uh, last September. It's been about a year, and he's, he's trying to do Rock Bible Church Central Valley, right? I say trying. He's doing Rock Bible Church Central Valley, and, and he's kind of having fun. Uh, he, he is, uh, is lead pastor for the first time. He's only been doing it for a year. So he calls me up and said, yeah, you never told me this would happen, you know, or that would happen. It's kind of funny. We laugh, you know, pastor to pastor and kind of stuff. And it came out. I said, hey, so what are you doing? What are you guys, what are you teaching through right now? What do you, what do you do on Sunday mornings? He's like, well, you'll never believe it, but we're going through Nehemiah, right? See, our church, Rock Bible here, we went through Nehemiah a few years ago. And he said, hey, we're starting new. I just thought it'd be a good, good thing for us to do. We're going through Nehemiah. I said, oh, that's hilarious. Are you having fun? He's all, yeah, we're having a blast because last week we did eat the fat and drink the sweet wine passage. <laughs> I said, oh, you're having a blast then. That's great. Uh, not the response we would have expected from the father in a story like this. You know, if you're a dad and your son comes home, it's kind of the response you want, right? But when you're an, uh, an audience member, a ticket holder, and you're listening to the story, you're kind of wondering how will the father respond? And so we're kind of relieved that the dad does this because uh, we don't view ourselves as the father. We view ourselves as the son, don't we? When we hear the story. Uh, it's a great question to ask. Which, which character do you really view yourself as? Uh, Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to, there's our word again, celebrate. Now a sign that the story is about to change, right? Uh, you, you, there's other words that happen where this you know, can go on where, where it says, but, you hear but, then you know that the story's going to change. Although, you know the story's going to change. Here it says, now, the story's going to change. His older son was in the field. Is he in the house? No, he's out in the field. And he came, the older son being who? If we're the younger son, are we the younger son? If you're the younger son, who's the older son? He's the firstborn. But analogy-wise, God is the father. Younger son is you. Who's the older son? Church people. It's church people. And you've heard me talk about church people before, right? Uh, hopefully you're not the older son. Right, But church people in the field. He was in the field. He came and drew near to the house. The house was called the house of the church. Where's he supposed to be? He's supposed to be in the house. He's, gonna, he's the number one son. He's going to take over this whole operation. He didn't need to be in the field per se. But he knows that the house is where he belongs ultimately. That's where he returns every night. Right? It's his foundation. He heard music and dancing. As he came near, drew near to the house. 
Did he hear what he was supposed to hear? Let me ask you that. What do you think? Did he hear what he was supposed to hear? It's not what he expected. But if you have a God who does celebration and the son has come home, didn't he hear what he was supposed to hear? Didn't hear what he expected, but he did hear what he was supposed to hear, right? And he could ask many questions as to what he heard, but watch the question he comes up with. He called one of the servants, verse 26, asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. Love that. You ever heard that phrase, safe and sound? You heard it before, haven't you? Where'd it come from? Bingo, right there. All the best stuff stole from the Bible. Even the bad stories. There's better ones in the Bible. Right? Nobody can tell stories like God and reality. Receiving back safe and sound. What could have been his response at this point? He heard what he was supposed to hear. He heard his father following through on what the father cares about. My boy's home. We're supposed to party with my boy. We're supposed to enjoy each other, enjoy relationship. That's not what he does. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. Hmm. His father came out and entreated him. His father came out. What now has happened for both boys? Yet while he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him. Didn't jog to him. Didn't walk to him. Didn't take his time. He sprinted out to get to him. Right? Here, got the older son out in the field. And he saw him coming. And when he come in, he went out to him. Who's God come for? Everyone. Right? Got to make sure we get this. God comes for everyone. God chases everyone. God's not slow about keeping his promises as some count slowness, but is patient, not willing that any should perish. Amen? Amen. Younger son, older son, doesn't matter. Squander your living or you're doing the work in the field, doesn't matter. He's coming for you. Why? He wants relationship with you and he wants to invite you to the party. Right? Came in and treated him. Verse 29. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. I served on a committee even, the church. I had a vote. and I went to the men's breakfast. Right? Uh, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might what? Celebrate. Celebrate with my friends. Here the older son admits he knows the priority. The priority is the party. Our job is to enjoy relationship with other people. Eat and hang out together and enjoy one another. And that's the goal he wanted to get to, but he lost his way, didn't he? Now he's angry that his little brother's getting to do what he knew he wanted to do. Why don't you just join the party and you would be doing what you say you want to be doing? But get all twisted up. Because that's what church people do, right? Church people, they get all twisted up. Want to make rules. Hey, wait, he was reckless. He was a squanderer. He broke the rules. Watch what he says. Well, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
You killed the fattened calf for him. Ew. Doesn't he sound angry? Grumpy? You wanna, you, do you want to party with him? No, I don't want to party with him. But watch this. He's made another admission. He has admitted that he knows what the father wants and how the father acts. He says, hey, my brother squandered this stuff. He, he devoured it. And you killed the fattened calf for him and party with him. Yeah. If I was the dad, this, I would have fun with this. I would get a grin on my face and I'd say, oh, good. You finally figured it out. This is what we do when the son comes home. And there's great implications for that. Why? For the older son. What is the implication for the older son? If you, by any chance, I know you're all righteous and are out in the field all the time doing what you're supposed to do. But if you were to misstep at some point and came back, you're offered the same thing. On a party with you too. Older son, I want to party with everyone. Uh, by the way, ne- never turn down an invitation to a party. Okay? Just go. Go party. Okay? It's, just, it's a freebie. It's not a fill-in, but you could write it down if you want. <laughs> just, just go to the party. Why, why stay home? Uh, and he said to him, verse 31, watch what the father does. Because he, he could get angry. There's a lot of ways he could have responded, but watch what he says. He says, son, you are always with me. What a great statement. And all that is mine is yours. How cool is that? Hey, you know, I, I gave him his half already. You're the number one son. Everything left is yours. This is, your, is going to be your place. And you're always going to be with me. But you need to learn what's fitting. Love how it says that. Verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Unlike you, older son, the right thing to do would be to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. What a great story. I think that we can find all of the things from the Bible as to what the church is supposed to be found in ways in this story. And I want to point it out to you for the next three weeks. Okay, so I've, I've kind of ruined it. You know what the passage is next week, okay? It's Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32, okay? Two weeks from now, the passage is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, because we need to get everything we can out of this, all right? And I think the first thing we can see, we need to see, is, is at the top of your outline, look at the verse there. It's verse 17 from the passage. It says this, but when he came to himself, This is what the story is about, folks. When he came to himself. There's a lot of details in the story. There's a dad and there's two sons and there's a house and there's a field and there's corn and there's pigs and there's pods and there's all this stuff and there's running and there's all these verbs. But, but know this. All the story leads up to verse 17. 
the bad stuff has happened and the good stuff has yet to happen. And there's a moment in the middle. It's a pivotal moment, a change in the story that everything hinges on. He came to himself. And what does he say? Who's my dad? What's he like? I I could go back to him and be fed better than these pigs. Even the way he treats the bond servants or the slaves is better. I need to turn. I've come to my senses. I need to return to my father. Folks, we could find this in many, many other stories in the Bible, but the primary purpose of the church is to be there for or instigate the opportunity when people come to their senses and turn. When people come to, watch this. What does he say? How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? And I perish here with hunger. He says, you know what? The slaves of my father. We don't say slaves, right? We've, We've got a bad history with the word slaves in our country. But you know, in the Greek, that word is doulos. And, and, and people uh, love to, for a while, it was very uh, popular in contemporary Christianity to uh, take the Greek word doulos and like tattoo it somewhere on your body. I'm a bond servant. I'm a servant. Yeah, because it's a politically correct way of saying slave. Back in those days, slaves, they weren't treated like bond servants, folks. They were treated like slaves. They, were, they got the bottom of the barrel if they got to be at the barrel at all. You know what I mean? There was no value to slave. And somehow we want to clean it up in our modern day language because, well, it's just correct. No. Because it takes away the value of the passage. See, the people that were treated like the very worst of the worst of the worst, the, the boy says, the son says, my father treats them how? Well. It's a great statement about how God cares about all people, even the servants, even the slaves get treated well in his house. At some point, people get to a place where they say, maybe I got to turn and go back to that God. Maybe I got to turn back to the Father. Maybe this Christ thing has some weight to it. Maybe this cross thing has endured forever and they hang them on the walls because there's something real about it. Yeah, here at our church we say uh, we're a compelling casual community. Right? That's the short way of saying we have the three little words. right? And then, and then uh, in the longer version, we say we're Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling casual right? And the, you know, notice both of them start with what? Compelling ourselves and others to Christ. That's where it starts in the short version. In the long version, it starts with Christ-centered. Why? Because our, our job is to be compelling others to Christ. And here's the problem. You can't compel them to something that you're not compelled to yourself. Right? If you don't like soccer, don't coach soccer. You get me? Right? But uh, at Rock Bible Church, we sell compelling ourselves and others to Christ. Why? Because compelling is active, not complacent. 
Compelling means we got to get to people and get to ourselves so that we can arrive at the place where we come to our senses and turn and, and say, you know, what if I went back to my father? What if I went back to my God? And then I love the example that the father sets in verse 20. Watch what it says. Listen to these verse, these verbs. Okay, because I'm going to ask you who does him, right? He arose, went, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He's still a long way off. His father saw him. How do you see somebody who's a, a long way off? Well, I got the GPS out and no. Telescope. No, they don't have those either. Laura, what was it? He's already looking for him. I imagine dude standing on the porch, looking at the horizon every day. I imagine it's not the first time he ran out to the horizon. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that during first service. Okay, just don't go to first service. Go to second service. <laughs> right? It's probably not the first time he's run out there, but the father saw him at a distance. Why? Because he was looking for him. And he felt compassion on him, right? And he ran to him. Didn't take his time. He embraced him. He kissed him. Those are all proactive verbs. And who does them? God does them. The father does them. And sets the example for us that our job is to compel other people to Christ actively. It's not complacent. It's not I come and I sit in church, but not in the first three rows and, and you just kind of do whatever, right? No, we, we go after those who need Christ. We chase first service people. We pray for them diligently that they might understand the gospel and, you know, get more proactive. I joke. But the point is this. We exist as a church. Why? To try and bring people to the Lord. You know, you know why we exist as a student ministry at this church? Well, because I need a good program for my kids who are teenage years. No. That is, okay, I'm going to get in trouble here. That is not a priority to us. It's not a priority to us for our church to have a program so church members' kids have a program. How antiseptic is that? How boring is that? Here's the thing. We exist as a church so that in student ministries, kids who have yet to come to their senses and turn towards God might watch their parents go to church and go and sit with somebody like Giuseppe and hear it in their own language and have a moment where they come to their senses. And we do it in proactive ways. We spend money on it. We, we program a budget towards it. We calendar for it. We, we rent vans and ship them off. And we, sometimes we lose money. Why? We're not here to make money. Whoa, newsflash. Church is not here to make money. If you ever feel like that, come talk to me. I'll change whatever is making you feel that way because it needs to go away. Right? Because well, how has church gotten backwards in, in, in Christendom? They start focusing on money, asking for money. What? No, that's not why we're here. They get confused. Why? Because money is a tool we use to what? Compel others to Christ. We, we need a van to take them to camp. Right? Things cost. 
Giuseppe would like to have dinner once in a while, right? We got to find a way to make these things work logistically, but people get twisted up on the money. Oh, we need more money. No, we don't need more money. We need more decisions. We need more turning. We need more coming to their senses and we need to do whatever it takes to be proactive to give people that opportunity, whether they're church families or not. See, this is where we don't want to become the older brother. I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely flabbergasted. And that's a problem because I never used that word, flabbergasted, right? But I am beside myself, physically ill, bordering on violent, wanting to get proactive because I'm sitting in a church meeting. Not this church. It was a long time ago. But I'm sitting in a church meeting and I hear one of my direct reports telling me, we're concerned about the student ministry because we feel like there may be too many kids from outside the church coming to the youth group. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. It sounds like you just said you didn't want visitors to turn and come to their senses. It, it was an amazing moment for me because it was a moment where I realized I might be in the wrong place. <laughs> I thought I was working at a church. I didn't realize it was a country club. What's a country club? Members only. Members only. We build really nice stuff. We keep it really nice and clean and we build a big fence around it and then there's us and there's... Yeah. Oh, you know, country clubs. I'm sitting in a church meeting and they're telling me yeah, we're concerned that not enough church families kids are going to the student ministry. I was like, that's amazing. You should talk to the parents of those. Would you call them families? So they get the priority of what is a church here for? You're, you just told me I'm awesome at my job. The kids who've already heard might not come very much. But the kids who haven't heard are coming. Do I get a raise? <laughs> they wanted to demote me. It was awesome. <laughs> I quit. Uh, you see, compelling is active. It's not complacent. We read verse 20, verse 31 says it this way. Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You, you have an inheritance. They have an inheritance. And by the way, we've got to stop calling them they. And we need to start calling them. And you guys didn't even go to seminary. Brilliant. See, God is compelling people to himself, right? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 has a great passage there where he uses the word reconciling like five plus times. It just keeps going. Hey, you've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, be reconciled to God, right? We might come back. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be active in how we compel ourselves and others to Christ. Now I want to get in. Here we go. A couple, just a couple minutes. We're just two. C and H of what is church. How do we define church? 
Okay, and I told you uh, we started out with, with uh, Christ in both things, and so we're going to start our, our acronym with Christ-centered. We start all of them that way, right? Compelling casual community starts with Christ. Christ-centered biblically-based compelling casual community starts with Christ. Church acronym starts with Christ. It's Christ-centered. And uh, Colossians 1.18 uh, says it this way. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Come to have first place in everything. How hard is it to figure out what's the first most important thing in a church if you have that verse? It says first place, right? ESV, if that's what you're looking at, says another great word, right? Preeminent. There we go. Look at James. Let's hear it for James, right? Uh, he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, that, that in everything, he might be preeminent. A church has to be Christ-centered first. If it's not, go somewhere else. If we're not, I'm giving you permission. And you never need my permission, by the way. Go somewhere else if we're not Christ-centered first. Right? It's a standard we gotta, we got to stay to. And then second, uh, secondly, on, on the acronym, but third for today, we're Holy Spirit-led. We're Holy Spirit-led. Of the six that you're going to get, C-H-U-R-C-H, this one might be the least practiced, least understood, and the one that needs the most of your time and attention going forward. Because the idea of being led by the Spirit, uh, well, that gives us a little bit of the heebie-jeebies a little bit, Right? I've been to one of those churches and we freak out. <laughs> like there's something wrong with them. Probably not anything wrong with them. We're just not used to it. And so we swing way over here. Well, we're not going to do that Holy Spirit stuff. Really? Because I'm pretty sure Jesus said, I'm not pretty sure, I am sure. Jesus said, I will send you a helper. I'm also sure that we're supposed to have help <laughs> if he's a helper. How do we get help? We get leadings from the entity that was there at the very beginning, hovering over the surface of the waters, John chapter, or Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. He's going to be there at the very end as well, into all of eternity, one of the three parts of the Trinity. You know, if I asked you, do you have a conscience? You would say? Yes. Are you Holy Spirit led? Yes. I think so. But it's kind of weird. Like, we talk about conscience like it's a no-brainer. Just, Jiminy yeah, Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. But when we get into how does the Spirit lead you, that, now we're confused. Does the Spirit lead you through prayer? Does the Spirit lead you through Scripture? Does the Spirit lead you through worship? Does the Spirit lead you through uh, serving, tithing, uh, listening, uh, by hanging out with Dwayne? You know, the Spirit can lead in many different ways, uh, especially with Dwayne. And, and um, why are they laughing? What's that about? Um, the, the, the problem is you've got to experiment with it. You've got to try it a little. That's not always going to work, and sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But, you know, what if you just ask God, hey, what's my leading? To, what do you want me to do today, God? That's a very simple question. God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to handle this situation, God? Here's the one I try to do all the time. You know, I meet with people. Uh, they, they want to meet with the pastor because they think the pastor has a corner on the market. 
I haven't figured out what the market is. I haven't figured out what the corner is either. Uh, but they want to meet with the pastor, and, and I love doing it. Okay, I feel like it's one of my giftings. I love sitting with people and talking through, hey, this is going on. What do you think? Can we ask me some questions? Whatever. I, all the time. Couples, sometimes single people, sometimes family. It doesn't matter. Okay, if you ever want to do it, I'd love to do it. Okay, I'm twisted that way. Uh, but walking into those almost every time, if I can remember, here's what I say. God, tell me what's fitting for this exchange. Because I am ill-prepared. I have no idea what's coming. But I'm going to sit with these people because I believe this is what you've called me to do. Now I need your leading. I love those meetings. They're fun. You get to hear about divorce and uh, you get to hear about uh, abuse and you get to hear about addictions and all these fun things. Sarcasm, right? Why is it fun? I get to compel people to Christ with a little bit of leading, I believe, from God. Does this always work? No. Does it work sometimes? Yes. Do I know when it's going to work and when it's not going to work? Absolutely not. But those aren't the things that are that important. And you know, by the way, I didn't give you any details as to any of the conversations, right? Why? Well, pastoral confidentiality. No, because they're not important. It's the following of the leading and the showing up and being present and saying, all right, how, how do we be Christ-centered in this and how to compel you towards him? That's what it's about. I love it. I sign up for it. People say they want to meet. I said, get out the phone. What time? When? Because we're meant to be Christ-centered. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit led uh, Romans 8. He is also the head of the body, right? But then there's uh, Galatians 5. This one's a little bit longer. Bear with me, but it's awesome. Uh, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I keep doing this stuff, and I, I can't stop. Well, find something positive to do, and you'll be, you'll be busy. <laughs> For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do you combat those things? You pursue the Spirit. You ask God for leadings. You be Spirit-led. And you'll be too busy. What? I mean, it's kind of funny. What if you were too busy to sin? <laughs> Doesn't that sound backwards? Right now, we're all too busy to do the right thing sometimes. Or I'm too tempted or whatever. What if you were doing good things all the time and you're, and you're just like, you know, I, I wanted to sin, but I, I couldn't find time in the schedule <laughs> I tried to put it in the smartphone, but I was busy being nice to this one person, and then I, and I was counseling this other person, and then I went and helped this other person move, and I, I couldn't find any time. So I gave it up. I mean, it's funny, but it's, it's actually what God means. It, watch. But the fruit of the Spirit is, verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Fill your times with those things. You will be too busy to sin. 
And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And when we walk the talk, we eliminate that long, ugly list that we read, right? That one that you were really glad that I read really, really fast. Just get through it and over. Right? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, folks. We've got to get to the point where we're asking God, what do you want to do? What are you doing? What is important to you? And then start doing it. Get to the point where we're too busy to get distracted, bogged down, hurt. That's what we're trying to do. And then, and then build a ministry. Not this ministry. Not this church. But whose ministry? Okay, that's a good Sunday school answer, but more specific. Who's God's and whose? And Christ. Oh, man, you guys are trained. God's and Christ and whose? Yours. What's your ministry? God's called you to some great things. God wants to lead you to some great things. Your ministry might be your spouse. It might be your kid. It might be the cubicle person next to you. It might be the guy in the shop that you work with. It could be, you know, uh, who you carpool with. Or that just annoying boss. Your kid's coach. All of those are opportunities to compel someone to Christ. And Christ says, be compelled to me yourself first. So we get down to business and have some fun because I'm planning a party. Are you coming? Amen? Amen? Lord, thank you. Thank you for how clear your word is. Thank you for how clear your priorities are. When they asked you what's the most important thing, you said, you said, love the Lord your God. Put God first. Pray, Lord, that that's who we would be. That's who our church would be. That we would put your son first. You first in all the things that we do. In, even in our phrases. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd show us how, how do we be proactive in doing that for other people. That they might have the opportunity to come to their senses and turn to you. Let that be our focus, Lord. If you're here this morning, you never asked the Lord into your life. You never said, hey, I'm following you. That's it. I'm tired of doing my own thing. You can say that, decide that, however you want. You can say your own prayer and your own words, but you need to do it. You could say, God, I accept your son today. And I am compelled to him for the rest of my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your death on it, your resurrection from it, your ascension to heaven. I accept it all. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. And I take direction from you from now on. If that's you, let us know. Let us help you as a church. It is why we're here. Number one. Father, thank you for their offering that we're about to receive. Pray that you would use it to help us do your will and follow your leading. That we might accomplish your number one purpose 
in helping others come to their senses. So we pray that you would bless this offering. And we pray for those who are guests, who are visiting, and we ask that they feel no obligation to give, but recognize what we do as a family. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.